Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome back to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton and today I'm going to talk with you about how false prophets mislead countless people in American Christianity. I want to start with 2 Timothy 4.1. Paul told Timothy, he said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now I'm reading from the Amplified in case it seems a little wordy, but it makes a a really good point. Verse 2, he said, Preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right, even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct. Those who err in doctrine or behavior warn those who sin, exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. In verse 3, he said, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing They will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. He says, but as for you, be clear-headed in every situation, stay calm and cool and steady, endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill the duties of your ministry. Now, what Paul has just described here is the work of ministers. All ministers are really to operate this way. So the number one method here that's pointed out that, uh, you know, I'm going to be talking about methods today that the false teachers and false prophets and the false pastors, how they're misleading people. The number one method of misleading people is to do ear tickling. It's to tickle people's ears. Tell them something that's pleasing and satisfying. Tell them what they want to hear. Ear tickling is always about doing the opposite of what Paul instructed Timothy to do. First of all, he said, preach the word. not the te- Don't preach the teachings of men. Don't preach traditions and doctrines of men, but preach the word of God, the word of God. Number two, Paul told Timothy, he said, keep your sense of urgency. And what he's saying is, you know, time is short. Sin is deadly. The church is in bad shape. Lukewarmness will get you spit out of the mouth of Christ, you know, or the lack of fruit will get you cut off the vine and thrown into the fire. So in other words, keep your sense of urgency as a minister. Don't let people buy with sin. Don't let, don't let uh, worldliness and carnality be acceptable in the church. That's what he's saying. The third point that Paul made to Timothy was, He said, correct those in the body of Christ who are in error. In other words, there's people that are teaching falsehood. There's people in the church that have wrong ideas about Jesus or the Bible or salvation or God or whatever. And he said, when they're in error, correct them. And so the the fourth thing that Paul said to Timothy, the next thing was, 
He said to warn those who are in sin. In other words, if you're in sin, sin is deadly. The wages of sin is still death. If you're practicing sin, you don't have any hope of heaven. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, this is what a minister is supposed to do, is to warn people who are in sin. People in the church who claim to be Christian who are in sin, warn them. Say you don't have any hope unless you repent. The next thing that he made a point of was to say that you're you're to do all of this you know, you're to have your sense of urgency, you're to, to correct those in error, you're to warn those who are in sin, and you're to preach the word of God, and you're, do, and you're to do so uh, no matter how favorable or how unfavorable it is, how welcome it is, how unwelcome it is, how convenient it is, or how inconvenient it is. It doesn't matter. And a lot of times it's not favorable, and a lot of times it's not convenient to correct people. A lot of times it's not any fun to point somebody out the fact to point to somebody out the fact that they're in sin and that sin is wrong. So he goes on to say too, in addition to the correcting and the instructing and all that, he says also to exhort and to encourage those who are growing towards maturity, spiritual maturity in Christ, no worse to strengthen them and to help them and encourage them. And that's part of a shepherd's job. That's part of a teacher's job. That's part of a prophet's job. That's part of an evangelist's job. That's whoever's a minister. That's part of his job as well. And he said to do this. In other words, you don't ever give up. You don't ever quit. He do it. He said to do it with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. So this is the work of the ministry. This is what a pastor or prophet or evangelist or, or teacher is supposed to be doing. But here's what the problem is. The normal function today in American Christianity, as far as pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, is to tickle ears, to make people feel okay like they are, to make people think that it's just all grace and there's no responsibility. You really are not, you don't have to change. You can just be the way you are and somehow God accepts you. You see, it's to make everybody feel good, to feel safe, to feel saved, you know, like they're secure in their salvation. It doesn't matter if they're lukewarm. It doesn't matter if they are carnal or worldly-minded or selfish or greedy or lustful or just flat-out living in sin. It really doesn't matter because the goal is to make them feel good like they are. That's what church is all about. That's what the ministries today are all about is just send me your money. I'll give you what you want to hear. I'll tickle your ears. I'll make you feel good about things, and everything will be just fine with everybody. That's what they say. But see, today's pastors and prophets and evangelists and Bible teachers, they are experts at pleasing people. They're experts at making people feel good. And they're experts at pleasing people rather than pleasing God. They teach things like easy believism. Well, you know, all you have to do is just accept Christ or just ask Jesus to come in your heart or just believe in Jesus, you know, or or pray the sinner's prayer, they say, and then you'll be okay. And then, and then they'll say, once you've done those things, you've accepted Christ, prayed the sinner's prayer or whatever they say you ought to do, which is usually always some very simple, non-threatening, non, non-difficult thing to do. They just say then, when you, when you've done that, then they say to you, oh, well, now you're saved and nothing can keep you out of heaven now because you belong to Jesus. You're a child of God. Everything is good. You're all fixed. You're all set and ready to go. The, so the, the general gist of it all is kind of like this guy, that has a truck right up the road here over here in town close to where I live. And he's got a a big old truck all jacked up with a big window in the back of it. And on the back of the window, he's got these big letters written in white. He says, everyone goes to heaven and everyone stays there. So that's, that's what he says. Well, you know, I saw that sign and I thought, 
you know, how deceived this man is. I mean, nobody's going to hell according to him. But you know what? In a way, he's not far off from the whole philosophy of the whole church world today. In a way, that's kind of what's going on. It's kind of like if you're in church or you or you give money to a ministry or you pray to sinners prayer at some point in the past or you ever got baptized or you ever said you believed in Jesus, then it's pretty much that way. Everybody's going to heaven and everybody stays there. So it's, you know, heaven's guaranteed. I mean, that's kind of the way it is. So in a way, that is the doctrine of the church. That's the doctrine of the church today. These statements and others like these that are made by the modern church today and these philosophies like this, they are ear-tickling and very pleasing to the flesh. They're very pleasing to mankind. So I want to ask you this question. Does your pastor have a sense of urgency about sin? Oh, I know he probably mentions sin and it's not good and you know, you'd know you be better off if you lived a better life. And he might even say once in a while, he might even say, you really need to repent if you're in sin. But I'm talking about, does he have the sense of urgency? Like, like he treats it like you're, you know, you're terminal if you sin. You're, you know, there's no hope for you if you're practicing sin. I'm not talking about if you stumble and you happen to stumble in sin as someone who's living a, a holy life before God. I know there's an advocate with Jesus Christ. I know that, I know there's room for a believer to stumble into sin. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about somebody in the church who normally lives with sin, who normally is selfish who normally is carnal, who's normally worldly-minded, who's normally lukewarm, or who's normally in pornography or adultery or cheating in business or whatever, who lives like this. Does your pastor, does he have a sense of urgency? Is he really alarmed about this? Does he go to that person and does he plead with them for their life to please repent or you don't have any hope? Or does he just sort of treat it like it's a small problem? Another question for you. Does your pastor correct those who have the wrong view of God, the wrong view about the Bible or misunderstandings about the scripture or misunderstandings about the will of God? Does your pastor correct them? Does he uh, speak to them about it? Does he instruct and correct? And, and does he also, does he confront those who are in sin? Does he rebuke those that continue in sin? And, and if, after he's done that, does he put them out of the church if they won't repent of the sin? What does he do? If he doesn't do that, if not, then why not? What is his purpose? What is his agenda? You see, isn't a pastor, a shepherd, supposed to separate the sheep from the goats? Isn't he supposed to clean up the body? Isn't he supposed to deliver the church to the Lord Jesus Christ without spot or wrinkle? Isn't that his duty? Isn't that his job? So what's his purpose if he's not, if he's allowing everybody just to go on like they are? What is his purpose? I want to go to the next scripture, 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He said, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, that is these false teachers, many, and that word many in the Greek means multitudes, multitudes of false teachers will follow their own sensuality. They'll follow their sensuality. In other words, that means they're going to follow what they want to do. They want to follow their own desires. They want to follow their own purposes. They want to follow their own greed. They want to follow their own ways. So they will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. That means it's twisted, it's perverted, it's crooked, it's not straight. And in their greed, see their greed, their greed for money, their greed for power, their greed for position. 
In their greed, they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction, God says, is not asleep. You see, these false prophets way back then arose among the people, and Peter said, and they're going to be right there with you, and they're with us today, except today we have far more of them and such a greater percentage than there ever has been before. And they're the ones that introduce destructive heresies. A destructive heresy is any kind of teaching that causes you to feel safe and to feel secure and to feel like you're going to heaven while you're either lukewarm or you're passive, lazy, selfish, worldly-minded, greedy, or you're unforgiving of those who wronged you, or you're, or you're bearing of fruit, barren of fruit. And I don't mean you are bearing fruit. You're barren of fruit. I mean, you don't have any fruit. That means that your branch has just got leaves on it and there's no fruit there. Just like it says in John 15. And if you don't have any fruit, he's going to cut you off. You're in Christ. You're hooked to the vine and you're not bearing fruit. He's going to cut you off and throw you into the fire. So a destructive heresy is any, is any kind of a teaching or philosophy that allows you to feel safe while you have no fruit or just being disobedient to God in any kind of way, living a disobedient life or just living in sin, you know, just to do what you want to do. Any teaching that allows you to feel comfortable while living like that is a destructive heresy. The reason it's a destructive heresy is because it will destroy your soul. And today's American church is saturated with all these spiritual conditions, which are, we're full of destructive heresies, we're full of sin. We're full of the world and, and many more things than other one, than, than the ones I just mentioned. This is the condition of today's church. And we're like this partly because, partly because of the pastors and the shepherds and the prophets and the teachers, you know, and the ministries that are introducing the destructive heresies. That's partly the reason why we're like this. And the other half of it, the other part of it is like it says over there in, in Timothy, about how the people, they gather for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, they're getting what they want. So it's a two-part thing. Part of it's the pastors and the shepherds and the prophets that are telling people what they want to hear. And part of it is the people getting them, getting the, uh, following the kind of men that will tell them what they want to hear. So it's a two-part thing. So it, it's terrible what's happening today. It's, it's terrible. These destructive heresies and accumulating these teachers according to your own desires. It's destroying the souls of millions and millions and millions of people. Peter also said that these false prophets would follow their own sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth would be twisted, perverted. And that's exactly what we have today. You see, it also he also said that these false prophets would exploit you with their words. In other words, exploit means they're going to take advantage. They're going to manipulate you. They're going to suck money out of you. They're going to get you to pat them on the back. They're going to get whatever they want, and they're going to get the power and they're going to get the position, they're going to get the money, and they're going to use you and me, if we'll go along with it, they're going to use us, and they're going to exploit us with false words telling us things we want to hear. And so as a result, you know, they're going to tell you all, all is well, they're going to preach peace and safety, they're going, to, they're going to give you words of prosperity and words of happiness and hope and blessings and all is well, and that kind of thing. That's what you're going to hear, and that's pretty much the message of today. You see, the, the false prophets and the false teachers, they really don't have the sense of urgency. They really don't treat sin like it's deadly. They really don't really uh, uh, worry about 
the church being in the conditions is. In fact, they don't even hardly mention it. They might just mention it in passing, but it's kind of like, well, you know, at least we're all Christians and we're just saved by grace. We're just poor sinners saved by grace. That's kind of how they answer that question. And so they don't have a sense of urgency for souls that are actually going to be lost because of sin and because of worldliness and because of compromises and because of lukewarmness that are in the church. And they don't worry about anyone living according to the flesh. They don't worry about anybody that's just lukewarm. I mean, there's a lot of nice people in church, good, you know, good citizens, uh, fairly moral and upright people. They really don't do any harm to anybody one way or the other per se. They, they're pretty ethical in their life and their business, but they're just lukewarm. They sit there in that pew week after week. They have no passion for God. They don't seek God. They don't stand up against what's wrong in the church. They don't even know what's wrong with the church. They haven't even gone to the trouble to find out what's wrong with the church. And so they're just going along with the whole system. They're just sitting there week after week. They're lukewarm. And Jesus said he's going to spew them out of his mouth. In other words, he is, they're not acceptable to him and they'll be sent to hell forever. But pastors aren't worried about that because as long as you show up and sit in that pew on Sunday and you put money in the plate, you're going to be called a great Christian. You'll be, you know, when you die and they take you down the funeral home, put you in that casket and then bring you up there, the pastor's going to stand up and talk about how faithful you were, how you were at church every Sunday and how you always paid your tithes and always donated to the work of God. And it's just going to speak really well. He's going to preach you right to heaven and you're going to be lukewarm. You'll be down in hell burning and that preacher will be talking about how good you were at the same time. That's what we have today. That's the condition of the church today. So where's the sense of urgency at, pastors? Where are you at? Why don't you worry about your members that are that their house is on fire? Their souls are being condemned as we speak and you are doing nothing about it as a shepherd of God? And it goes on in 2 Peter, jumping down to verse 12, again, talking about these false prophets and false teachers. Uh, Peter said this, but these, that is these false prophets, they're like unreasoning animals, he said. They're born as creatures of instinct, creatures of instinct to be captured and to be killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. In other words, they really don't understand what's really the heart of God here. And, and, and the will, and they will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Just like these unreasoning animals are going to be destroyed. These false preachers, these false pastors, these false shepherds, these false prophets are also going to be destroyed. He said, he goes on to say verse 13. They're suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong because what they're doing is wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes. See, in the body of Christ, they're stains and blemishes. They're not pure. And they're, he says, and they're reveling in their deceptions. They're, they're proud of what they teach. They brag about it. They, they have no shame about it. And they do this as they carouse with you, he said, having eyes full of adultery. See, adultery is not just physical, sexual adultery. Peter makes it really clear. James makes it clear. Others make it clear that if you have a love of the world and things of the world like greed for money, whatever, that's adultery before God because it's unfaithfulness to the husband, Jesus Christ, as a church or as a member of the church. So they're having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. I'll tell you what an unstable soul is is someone who just trusts their preacher. He just trusts their pastor. Pastor says you're saved. He says, oh, good. He doesn't check it out with the Bible. He doesn't check it out with God to see what's really required. He doesn't study to show himself approved as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. That's an unstable soul. And that's what we have today. 
the Barna Group and others have done research to find out that that 98% of American so-called Christians don't even study their Bible. They may read it like a newspaper every once in a while, maybe do the Sunday school lesson, but I'm talking about study. I'm talking about study like their life depended on it. Study to find out the truth. This is what These are unstable souls. They go along. The, apparently, there's a lot of unstable souls because we have a thousand denominations and we have members in all of them. We have people following every kind of doctrine, every kind of crazy thing that's going on, every kind of false prophet, every kind of false ministry. We have lots of people following. So there's a lot of unstable souls out there. And that what they're doing, he says, that they are enticing, enticing. You know, to entice somebody is to offer them something they want. You know, like, you, you know, you, you kind of hold the carrot in front of the rabbit, so to speak. You know, enticing unstable souls and they're having a, they have a heart, having a heart trained in greed. These false prophets are trained in greed. It says they're accursed children. In other words, they know exactly what to tell you. They know exactly what to tempt you with to give you, to get you to give them them your money, to get you to give them your money. And he goes on to say, they're also the ones who are forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Well, if you want to go back and look at Balaam, what happened to him? Balaam was a prophet. He knew God. He even knew what God wanted him to do. He knew what God didn't want him to do. But because of the, they kept bringing him a big bag of money, he finally gave in to the money. So he was going to go down and preach or prophesy and against Israel for the money. So he was going to say what the money was wanting him to say rather than what God wanted him to say. This is what we have today. We have a whole generation of prophets, pastors, and preachers, and teachers, and, and ministries who are saying what the money wants them to say. What the bag of money is saying for them to say is what they're saying. And they're enticing people because they love the money. They're enticing people with false words because they love the money. It goes on to say that Balaam, he received a rebuke for his own transgression for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. In other words, the donkey said, look, you're about to get us both killed because you're not obeying God here. And so Peter goes on in verse 18 to say, for speaking out arrogant words, he's still talking about the false prophets, speaking out arrogant words, you know, arrogant words like, this one guy says, well, I'm going to, this one so-called prophet that we hear on, on the, uh, on TV and other places, he says, he's going to live to be 120. You know, okay, that's, that's a little arrogant. And, and then, and then another one I mentioned here you know, a while back was talking about the coronavirus. He said, well, the coronavirus, if it touched his body, it would die because he's got so much of the spirit of God in him that any virus, he said, he is not ever going to get sick. He can't get sick. No disease or sickness can touch him. I mean, you talk about arrogance. That is just blatant arrogance. And then some of the things that I hear on podcasts and on YouTube and quote, quote unquote Christian TV and Christian radio, some of the most arrogant statements made by men who are supposed to be men of God. It said, he says they're speaking out arrogant words of vanity and they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. They entice those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. See, the world is in error and there's people that are trying to somehow find Jesus to some to whatever extent they are. They're trying to they're trying to barely they're barely escaping from the world, and then they fall prey to these false prophets. It's like they go from one trap into another. 
And, and here are these false prophets in verse 19, he says, and they're promising these people freedom while they themselves, the false prophets themselves, are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. So we're, here's where the corruption is. The money corrupts. The bribe is the taking of the bribe. It's the, it's the preaching for money. A pastor, a paid pastor is taking a bribe. Jesus said that the, that the hireling is not his shepherd over John 10. Go read it. You know, for he's the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. It wasn't the devil there that Jesus was talking about that came to kill, steal, and destroy. It was the hireling shepherd. It was the paid pastor. It was the paid preacher that came to kill, steal, and destroy. So these false prophets and false pastors and false teachers, they're the ones that lead people by their feelings, by sensuality. We just read about that. Sensuality is all about what feels good, what looks good, whatever sounds good or seems to be good. It's like a, their plan is like a marketing genius. You know, all these, all these uh, commercials we see on TV, you know, you know, buy this and try that and you, you got to have this and got, they appeal to what, what really sounds and looks good. That's why it sells. It's a marketing, it's a marketing plan. And they, they make these commercials so that they'll market to, uh, to our appeal to our inner person, appeal to our desires. And so this is what the false prophets do. They, it's a marketing, marketing genius type of thing that, because they're appealing to the very base nature of men. They're using what is attractive or what is appealing to the human, human weakness, especially the desire for money, the desire for health, the desire... We all want more money in a sense. I mean, who doesn't want a, a better paycheck? Who doesn't want to have a little more money in the bank? Who doesn't want to have a healthier body? Who doesn't want to prosper in every way a little better? That's just human, that's just human nature. That's just a human weakness. And in some ways, they also appeal to the, to the flesh nature of mankind by, by even appealing to men's greed for more, 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 more kind of thing. So these men themselves are promising freedom to others while they're slaves of corruption. And so they're corrupted by the greed of money, the love of money, and by the desire to have power and, and position and, and ministry to be, to be lording over people, to, to be somebody important, so to speak. And they also want the approval of man to be able to do all of that. So here's, I'm going to give you a few of the, of the common ways that they entice by fleshly desires. For one thing that um, is common now that they preach salvation, so many of them preach salvation without a cross, without a death to self, without taking up your cross and denying yourself. You can just be saved and skip that part. And so many of them now teach false grace, you know, grace that excuses sin, a false grace that somehow covers up sin, a, a somehow a false grace that accepts sin as part of being a normal Christian, that you just practice sin and live in sin as a Christian. That's the false grace. They also use, they use whatever is sensational because see, sensual, uh, you know, senses, the, we have senses as human beings. It's like what we see, hear, feel, touch, smell, whatever, and how we feel about things. It's really about how we feel. When something is sensational, it, it attracts us. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's like when you see something sensational or you hear about something sensational, this is also appealing to the senses. So they're using whatever is sensational to entertain people, to captivate people, to capture their attention, to draw them in, whatever. And they, and you know, to keep them interested, to keep them, you know, coming along and, and putting the money in the plate or sending the money to the ministry. One of the things they use that is sensational 
is music. They have all different kinds of music. They have they have music that's very beautiful. They have orchestras and people that are very talented singers. And they put all this together and they do it in churches. They do it on ministries. They do it on Christian TV, Christian radio. They use music as a, as a, as a, as a tool, as a marketing tool. And because of the sensuality of music, the desire and the enjoyment and the pleasure of music, it, it sucks people in. And so a lot of churches have special singers come in. They have special music. They have special people. And a lot of ministries do the same thing, and they hook up with people that are very gifted. And so it's a very powerful marketing tool. And a lot of times, church going to church is like going to a pep rally. You know, when I was just a kid, I was in junior high school. And, you know, back then it was called junior high school. That's a long time ago. And uh, today I think it's called middle school. But anyway, about the time that we were going to have a big game, like football game or a game that was really big against our rival team or something like that, rival school, they would have, they would call everybody down to the auditorium to have a quote unquote pep rally. It was all about getting us all charged up and all excited and get us all stirred up and all about the win and, and, and emotional high and everything. That was the pep rally. Well, a lot of churches do the same thing. You know, they get people together on Sunday. They have all the music and they, they pull on people's emotions. They get them all stirred up. They, people have an emotional high. They think, oh, this has been wonderful. We've somehow served God. And um, so people get on this, this, this emotional high, and as a result of that, they feel like they've served God. They feel like they've somehow worshiped God. So the church then, it does pep rallies in a way. And then another thing they do to be sensational is they bring in special speakers, you know, men of reputation, so-called prophets. Uh, and I've been in the Christian gatherings before where they would bring in celebrity speakers like famous football coaches and so forth or an astronaut to speak. I don't know what an astronaut or football coach knows about God per se. I don't know why they have to be famous, but anyway, they use this as a sensational tool and that plays on the uh, on the appeal of the senses. Uh, I remember one time I was at a I was invited by some friends a number of years ago to to they they had some kind of special thing going on at their church and they asked me and my wife to come. So we did, I, you know, just out of courtesy to them. We were just curious what was going on there. It was a big Baptist church in north part of Chattanooga in Hamilton County of Chattanooga. And when we got there, we found out they were doing a country music tribute, a tribute to the country music industry. And so the church uh, had members who were dressing up like so, like country music stars. Some had been those that passed, some that were present. And they were doing the, they were acting and dressing and looking like those, those country music uh, celebrities. Uh, one lady was uh, looking like Dolly Parton and was trying to look the part and sing the part and was dressed and had her body all shaped like Dolly does. And then, and then some guy came out and he was doing the Elvis thing, you know, with the, with the dance and the jig and the singing and the Elvis hair and all that. And so, and there were different people and the, and the whole thing was honoring because if anybody had ever sung, here's the thing. If anybody had ever sung a gospel song, that made them a Christian, according to this pastor. And so he was talking about all these wonderful, godly country music singers. And so then he, you know, he even talked about how, well, we know Elvis is in heaven today with Jesus. So I'm going, what? He died on drugs. He was immoral. He was, he was not following the Lord. And you're saying he's in heaven, but that's what, that's the mentality. Everybody goes to heaven and everybody stays there. And so th this kind of thing, though, appeals to the senses of the people because the people like to be entertained. So they love this church because this church is wonderful to them because it puts on these kind of dramatic plays. And then, and then in the charismatic movement, we have some very, 
bizarre things of the claims of supernatural, like, you know, some who claim gold dust is falling in their meetings and feathers are falling from the sky inside their, in the, from the ceiling in their, in their meetings, you know, how God, we're in the wings of God, supposedly, and feathers are coming down from God. And so <laughs> this stuff is outlandish. It's crazy. It's wild, but it appeals to them. It's dramatic. It, it's, it's, uh, sensational and it appeals to the, uh, so, you know, they're, they're enticing by fleshly desires. And then I hear a wild claims of dramatic miracles, but you know, it seems like nobody really ever sees them in person, but you hear stories about them. And then there's strange tales of visions and dreams that go, people claim that God showed them this and told them that and so forth and so on. And then all these prophecies that are given all the time. Uh, there's so many prophecies, I can't even keep up with them. I listen to some of them and they're prophesying so many things many of which have never come true and never will. So like some guy was prophesying earlier this year around January that this is going to be the year of prosperity for America, that even Christians were going to, their, their, their prosperity was going to multiply 10 times over. Well, look what's happened. We've had the coronavirus and people lost their jobs and the economy's crashed and it's, and it's been terrible. And, you know, it's, and no, I don't know of anybody that's made 10 times more this year or will before the year's over because of what's happened. So it's things like that. You know, another guy was saying, there's going to be plenty in 2020. You know, that was going to be the message of God. Plenty for everybody in 2020. Well, that's not true either. So we hear these fake and false prophecies all the time. And then there's all these false signs and wonders that are, again, they're enticing to the flesh. There's these so-called fake healings. And then you see people on some stages, some of these uh, televangelists, and they're just waving their arms and people are falling over. They call it slain in the spirit. And things like this are so phony, so fake, so, so not of God. And yet it's, but yet it's very enticing. And so people send their money and made some of these guys multimillionaires with mansions and jet planes and on and on and on because they do all this stuff and people fall for it. And then of course, it's enticing to, for people to be promised wealth. Oh, if you just sow your seed into their ministry, you know, you send them a hundred dollars, you'll get back a thousand kind of thing. And you know, <laughs> People fall for this. You know, you, you think after a couple, three decades of these lies that people would figure out this ain't working, but they're still doing it and they're still taking in the money and people still sending them money. I mean, it, it's mind boggling to me, but it's, it, it, it is enticing to the fleshly desires. It's enticing to their sensuality of human beings. They think they can pay a hundred and get a thousand, you know, and then I saw on TV a few months ago, or maybe it was a year ago where somebody was selling some holy water from the Mideast out of one of the so-called rivers over there. I don't remember if it was Euphrates River or what, but they were selling this, water, this holy water. It was supposed to have some kind of miraculous properties, you know, like if you used it, it would do certain things for you. Uh, I mean, but of course, you send your money to get it. It's not for free. And then there's uh, those others who sell prayer claws with healing powers. And, you know, this stuff, got, but it appeals to the, it appeals again. They're enticing by fleshly desires. I mean, it'd be really nice if you could pay 15 bucks for a prayer cloth and it would heal you of cancer or something. That would be nice. It'd save you a lot of trouble having to go to the hospital and have surgery and go to the doctors and take medicine, whatever. But, you know, the fact is it don't really work. And then there's that movement about speaking things into existence, you know, think, calling things as not as though they were. And that's really attractive too because, you know, if I didn't have any money in the bank and I could do that, I could just say, well, I'm going to speak uh, $10,000 into my account and then I can start writing checks on it, you know. If I could just speak things into existence, cause things that are not as though they were. But see, again, that are, that's real enticing to the flesh. That's enticing by fleshly desires. And people fall for that. And then on and on about making 
just making a big show on TV, putting cameras up when somebody's supposedly getting healed, making it look so dramatic, and then these demonic manifestations that take place in some churches when they're having the deliverance session and they make it. It's, it's kind of like watching a train wreck. You can't hardly take your eyes off of that. And so, you know, from the human standpoint, it's very attractive. It's, it's, it's very sensational, sensational to the senses. And so people keep falling for this stuff. So this is how false prophets operate. Number one thing they do is they, tick, they, they, they tickle your ears by telling you what pleasant things are pleasant to your ears, what things you desire. And number two, they entice you by enticing you with fleshly desires by making promises of freedom and prosperity using sensational methods to appeal to your senses. If anyone who ministers to you does not have a sense of urgency concerning sin or who exploits you to get your approval and your money and who uses the Bible to twist the truth for his own gain, for his own financial gain, this is a false prophet. I don't care if he's your favorite pastor. I don't care if he's your favorite prophet or your favorite ministry. That's what he is, a false prophet. He is corrupted by the money and the greed and the power. The American church today is full of this kind of corruption. It's full of, the, just like Congress is full of corruption, just like our, our House of Representatives and our Senate is full of corruption, the White House is full of corruption, so is the church today. It's exactly the same way. You can't hardly find a noble, honest, God-fearing soul who's, who's doing the right thing because everybody's in this now for the wrong purposes. And there's a great delusion that's taking place all over America and all the churches and the whole denominational world. I'm not saying there's not any true Christians. There are a few. There's always just a few. But they're not a part of the big rotten system. They're not a part of the big corrupt system. So my question for you is this. Do you want to keep having your ears tickled or do you want your ears to be tickled or do you want the truth? Remember the way to life is the narrow path. It has a small gate, the gate of suffering, tribulation, persecution, and rejection. It's the way of the cross, your cross. Do you want to find that way? It's, and there's only a few going to find that. There's only a few going to find that way. Are you going to be one of the few? I hope you will be. I'll be back next week with another podcast concerning the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine the great deception.